Um, so today I'll be doing a reading from Acts uh, 2 particularly, uh, 1 to 13. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from the heavens and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw that uh, what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were, uh, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own tongue uh, language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they were asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of uh, Mesopotamia, <laughs> Judea and Cappadocia, uh, Pontus and Asia. Uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome. Both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, were here, would hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. No, thank you. Good job. I think you did great. Well done. Uh, I'm also going to uh, take a moment to actually pause where we're at because we can. Uh, I'd actually like to pray for Stacey uh, and actually pray for her on behalf of the church uh, and just to take a moment because that's a really important thing. It's a significant season. Uh, anyone who's been around it and saw Stacey when she was here back in, I think it was like November, December, was like, so are you, you giving birth this week? Because it seems like it from a long time ago. So it's certainly been a, a long uh, pregnancy. And so I just want to pray for her and take some time just to really commit that to her in this time. Uh, Father, we pray for Stacy in this moment. And we first that we thank you for the blessing of the bundle of joy that is coming. Uh, we look forward to meeting him and being a part of his life and uh, look forward to all of the things that are coming in and through that. But just in this moment, uh, as things are quite close to the, the, the moment of his birth, uh, and it's a challenging time for Stacy as she has different health things, low iron and other things that are going on, we pray that you would comfort her and strengthen her in this time. Though she may feel distant from you, Lord, may you set yourself close to her in this time. We thank you for Callum. We thank you for the support that he is giving and just pray that you'd continue to help him. Uh, pray also for her other daughters uh, and just pray that you'd really be supporting them as well as they get ready to, to welcome along the little brother and the excitement that comes from that. So we pray for uh, the, the birth, whenever that happens, whether that's imminent or in a week or so or whenever that might be. Uh, we pray that you would really uh, just be with Stacey through that and that would be as smooth as it can be uh, and we look forward to her being able to return to us in the near future. We thank you for this church and just yeah, the, the life that is coming and coming through different places and we just praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, pass on our greetings to her. We, we do miss her. Uh, so firstly, I want to ask this question. I want you to think for yourself. If you could relive 
any moment of your life, what would you choose to relive? If there was a moment in your life that you could go back to, uh, maybe, maybe if you're married, maybe it's your wedding day. Uh, maybe it's when you bought your first house and that was something really significant in your family. Uh, maybe there was a really good event or party or maybe there was a really good like music festival. A lot of people look back fondly on maybe a music concert that they went to when they were younger. Uh, maybe you did something really well in high school and you got some accolades uh, and you did really well. Uh, maybe your football team won a premiership and you could go back to that day and relive that experience all four times. Thank you, Steph. Or maybe it's something else that you are really connected with. What, what would you go back to if you could relive a moment in your life? It, it can be really good to look back with nostalgia and to, to long for and to wish to relive something that you lived in the past. But you could also get trapped trying to redo that exactly as it was rather than looking forward towards what could be. One of the challenges that we have as the church is it's really easy to look back at the Acts church, the church in Acts, and look at it with awe and just go, if we could just relive what the early church experienced, if, if we could just plonk ourselves back into that world, wouldn't that be amazing? Just You sort of read through the story and you read through like we just did before about what was going on in the church at the time, and it's like, oh, wow, wouldn't it be great if we could just? But at the same time, we can actually miss what it is that God wants to do in and through us now in the world that we live in today. And actually, that was for that time. What we can certainly do is go back and look at that church and look at what was going on and see some of the principles that were at work in that church that God absolutely wants to be at work in and through us today. We continue our series of acts called Becoming the Church. And we are a little bit looking back through rose-colored glasses at the early church and getting in a bit of a sense of what was going on in that church that would actually empower us today. What is it about that was going on then that might encourage us or inspire us or, or give us some hints and tips about how can we be the church? And so over the next few months, we're going to be taking a slow, methodical walk through the book of Acts. But we're mostly wanting to glean from it. What are the principles? What do we see God doing at that time that we ourselves, both as a church, but even in our own individual faith, even in our own individual life, as we look at what the early Christians experienced themselves, how can we as the church, how can we as individuals learn from the experience of that church and bring it into the 21st century. I'd love you to jump in with me to Acts. We're going to spend all of today in Acts chapter 2. We're going to get through most of it, just not the bit at the very end. So Acts chapter 2, we're going to pick it up at verse 1. Great place to start. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, who is this? Who is all together? So at this point, this is Jesus' followers. So Jesus' followers, they were with Jesus when he was there for 40 days teaching them. He then ascended, and now they've come together again. And here's the crazy thing. There's about 120 Christians at this time. They didn't call themselves Christians yet. 
But at this moment in history, there are about 120 people total that were followers of Jesus. In the world today, there's somewhere just over 2 billion Christians. Just over 2 billion Christians. What happens in today's passage, what begins with what we're looking at today, is how 120 people began the journey to becoming a church of over 2 billion people worldwide. It's interesting when we think about it, because I think about it and go, that's insane. How, how did 120 fledgling, or just this, this little group of people, go on to become a church that would spread all over the world? That there are times that we ourselves as a church, we can look at our size, and we're not what we always were. And we can look at it and go, oh, gee, it's hard to fill some rosters. Oh, gee, it's hard to sort of fit these things. And we can start to look in at those things. But I, once again, I look back at stories like this and see that along with the Spirit, it doesn't actually matter how many people you have. It's are you willing to see things through the eyes of the Spirit? So let's pick it back up again. So they're all in one place and then suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. And filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So what are these tongues that are going on? This is where Baptists start to get a bit uncomfortable. And so, why you are you talking about tongues? Like, what is this whole tongues business? Right, we're not going to go into the into the, the the wilderness with that today. We're not going to go into great depth around that. The, here is the reality: they absolutely spoke in tongues. There's two main interpretations of what these tongues might have been, uh, and there's context to why people might think different ways. Uh, one is that they they could have just been speaking in lots of earthly tongues, and that comes out through the context that we're about to read shortly. It could just be that they were speaking lots of different earthly tongues. It could be that they were speaking in some kind of heavenly language that the people who were around heard in their own language. And many a book and many a denomination have had many discussions around what is actually going on here. Here's the thing to notice. The, actually, the most important aspect of this verse are the last few lines. As the Spirit enabled them. What's most amazing in this context is the Spirit is at work in these people in this moment. And the Spirit causes something to happen that is outside the norm. And so what happens is as follows. So in verse 5 we read this. Now that we're staying in Jerusalem... God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. At least all the nations that could get there at that time. They were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Why this story happens as it happens was no accident. What was going on at the time is it was actually the time of, of Pentecost, which was existed in the Old Testament. It was known as the Jewish Festival of Weeks 
or the grain offering. There's a few different words that's used for it. And it was a time when the, the Jewish people would come, and as much as they could, they'd actually come back to Jerusalem. And it was 50 days following Passover. We find this out through Leviticus 23, verse 16 to 7, and it says this. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two-tenths of an ephath of the finest flour, baked with yeast as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. So all of these Jewish people are traveling to Jerusalem because it's time for them to celebrate the festival of weeks. It's seven Saturdays, seven Sabbaths after Passover, and then one day beyond that. So it always found itself to be on a Sunday. And it was a really important festival. And I don't think it's actually a surprise that this is when God chose to birth his church through the Spirit. Because at this time, there's all of these people that are at least interested in the God of Jacob. There are all of these people who are at least open to there being something more than just what they experience every day. And so they've all come into this place. And what happens is this. When they heard this sound, that's all these people speaking all kinds of crazy tongues and languages. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So we've got all these people from all these parts of the world that are hearing their language in Jerusalem. And that is not what they expected. They expected to have to come and kind of speak another language. They, they kind of expected to have to be able to interact while they were there. But they hear all of their own language going on. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? Like, I wouldn't expect them to know my language. Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language, Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. So I want to pause for a moment there. I want you to put yourself into the story. Just imagine that you're traveling, so you need to move out of an English-speaking country. Some of us have been to other countries that don't speak English, and you're in a place, and you're not expecting to be able to speak or hear things in your tongue. And then all of a sudden, you hear someone praising God in your language. It's like, oh, my people. Like someone that I know, like, oh, this is amazing. You can only imagine what it's like for these people that are coming to Jerusalem and they're like, wow. Like this is something that they were not expecting. It's why a crowd draws together, amazed and perplexed, that they are genuinely perplexed. Like, I don't understand what's going on, but I hear my mother tongue and it's beautiful. They ask one another, what does this mean? They, they know something's going on. They know this is not your everyday experience. There's something special taking place. But I love that verse 13 is here. I absolutely love that verse 13 is in our Bible because it makes the story so much more realistic. 
Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. There are some who hear this amazing thing and they can hear their own language being spoken by these Galileans who shouldn't be able to speak it. And their immediate reaction is not to go, hey, God's involved. Their immediate reaction is to go, they're drunk. Like, what is going on here? They're just completely nuts. They don't see anything supernatural in this. That there are times that God moves and some people experience that move of God and go, Wow. And some experience that move of God and go, oh, that's silly. That's ridiculous. That's not God. That's just someone had a really bad burger or that's just something really bad going on. Or There are times, even today, that God could do the miraculous. He could move a mountain and there would be some who don't see God involved. For me, this adds so much credibility to this story because it is exactly what it is like today. That that sometimes it can feel like God could do anything and there will be some who see that and are sceptical. That even when the Spirit moves, there will be those who don't see God's hand. Some were intrigued. And some simply thought they were drunk. So Peter stands up. Now, Peter's pretty much the head of the church at this stage. And and he's kind of like the spokesperson. And he can see that God is doing something. And so he stands up and gives a really long monologue, which we're going to read a part of and then summarize a part of. So we pick it up in verse 14 and he says this. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Now, at this stage, we're not told how big the crowd is. So we just know there's a crowd. He addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, okay, I'm one of you. This is not talking to people who are distant. This is fellow Jews. You're you're like me. I'm a Jew. You're a Jew. Let me talk to you. All of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. We haven't even started yet. They're not drunk. It's too early for that to be the reason. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. You know, the Jewish nation didn't necessarily expect this aspect. All people was just Jerusalem. It's like when Americans call themselves the world champions at a sport that's only played in America. It's like Jewish people are like, yeah, all people are going to be saved because all people are Jewish, right? Like that's kind of, no, no. So Peter is saying, no, 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 you missed the point. On the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, which was also not expected, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
It's as simple as that. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. It's not about their works. It's not about how good they are. It's not about them earning it. It's are they willing to put themselves aside and say, God, I need And he goes on from here. This is kind of where he picks up and he summarizes the story of Jesus. And he goes through Jesus' life and the fact that Jesus was crucified and goes through some of the essential aspects of the Christian faith. And then he summarizes at the very end in verse 36 and says this, Therefore, let all Israel be assured, because he's speaking to the nation of Israel at this time. The people who are there either live in Jerusalem or are Jewish people that are coming from the distance. That's, that's why he's addressing Israel. It's not that he's pro-Israel only. That's just who his audience is. Let all Israel be assured. This God, God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So the Spirit does something amazing. The Spirit moves. There's something goes on. A crowd is drawn to the area and Peter stands up and does what Peter can do. And he shares the message of Jesus. So in verse 37, it says this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves. From this corrupt generation. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. And this is where we actually get a bit of a sense of what was actually going on. What was the crowd size? Here we see in verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, that doesn't say that everybody accepted it. It says those who accepted his message. So the crowd was actually even bigger than that. We're not even given a percentage. Like It could be that the crowd was 30,000 and only 3,000 responded. It could be that 3,001 people were there and 3,000 responded. It actually doesn't matter. But what we can see here is an explosion of the church. That in this moment, the church goes from 120 to 3,120, give or take a few, because the 3,000 is likely a rounded number. I don't think they went out and like one by you, two, three, four, five. But something amazing has happened. One of the challenges about a story like this is that we can wish to relive this moment. Oh, if only we could have 3,000... I don't actually think... I don't know what we would do. If 3,000 people become a Christian tomorrow, I don't know what we would do. Like, I actually don't know how we would manage that. 
30 will be okay. Let's, let's go with 30. The point about this story is this was a special one-time event. This is not meant to be seen as normative. This isn't actually the goal. This was something special in that moment that God was doing to birth the church. But there are some aspects of this story. There are some principles. There are some things we can look at which have absolutely been normative across the history of the church. And they're the things that we should look at, both individually for our own life and our own faith and also for the life of this church. See, the, the key summary, if you were to summarize what was going on in this story, the church was born through a mix of Holy Spirit power and Jesus' follower readiness. The church was born through a mix of Holy Spirit power. This would not have happened without the Spirit moving. It was essential that the Spirit did what the Spirit did. It came and had them starting to speak in, kind of, in, in lots of different tongues and languages. And it was supernatural. And it was something that couldn't just be described away other than to say maybe they're drunk, but that wasn't really a good reason for it. So the Spirit moved. But the Spirit didn't convert people. It wasn't the Spirit that made the crowd go, oh, yeah, I'm in. It was actually Peter sharing the good news. It was Peter recognizing the moment and recognizing that the Spirit was moving and, and something was happening and having the boldness to stand up and lay out the story of Jesus. And so the mix of those two things led to the explosion of the church. So the principles that we can take away from this, here's the first one. The Holy Spirit's activity has always been essential to the growth of the church. The, the Holy Spirit's activity has always been essential to the growth of the church. Without the Spirit, we're just blowing in the wind. So individually, in your own life, in your own faith, in your own growth, as you're thinking about where do you want to see yourself grow this year? Where do you want to see yourself move? What are the challenges that you're facing in your own faith life? Are you expectant? Are you looking for? Are you longing for the Spirit to be present in your life? You cannot solve your faith challenges in your own strength. You're not meant to. It's meant to be that the Spirit moves in and through you. So your role, the very first step you can take, is to simply be praying for the Spirit to move in your life. To, to have an awareness and an openness. And again, historically, Baptists haven't been great at this side of things. We're, we're really good with the Bible and the Word and those things. But an openness for the Spirit to move, that's a little bit, oh, I'm a bit uncomfortable with that. Because what if I start speaking in tongues? And what do I do with that? And how are people going to see that? What's going to go on? And as a church... We will not be a thriving church in the heart of South Yandra, reaching the Shire Murray, reaching the broader Pill region, reaching to the ends of the earth, if we try and do it in our own strength. 
It's not going to be our bold plans and our, our fantastic ideas. And it's not going to be those things alone that take us anywhere. We have to be on our knees and crying out for the Spirit to just take off in our church. That, that the Spirit would fill us afresh and anew. And that the Spirit would do the work that we can't do. That we would expect it and long for it and seek it and do what we can in that area. We need to be praying for the Spirit to move. Secondly, a principle. Peter was ready to respond to the move of the Spirit. I don't think Peter woke up that morning expecting to address a crowd of 3,000. I don't think many mornings you wake up expecting to address a crowd of 3,000. Not many of us here speak to groups like that. He wasn't prepared for the specifics. But he was ready for the moment. Because he knew what the Spirit had in him. He knew the story of Jesus. He knew something to connect with the people in that time. And he was willing to be bold in that moment and recognize that the spirit was moving and to sort of put himself aside and go, okay, let's do this. So you, you won't know exactly what the spirit is doing and we won't know exactly what and when the spirit might move in our church. You may not know when the spirit will move in the individual circumstances that you're praying that God would answer. But you can be expectant and you can prepare your heart and you can read the Bible and you can work through these things and, and you can be there with your hands saying, God, I'm ready. I don't know what for and I don't know what it is you're going to do with me, but I'm ready. And then when the moment comes, be bold and step into that moment and work through the Spirit. And then 3,000 people will come to know. No, okay, that may not happen. But God will have his outcome. God will do what God can do. All Peter, Peter didn't know that was going to be the outcome. All he could do was share the message and then let it go. That's all he could do. The other thing to note here, and again, this is missed sometimes. These weren't just average, everyday people who might have been far from God. They were Jewish. They were open to the move of God. They were open to the realities that there is a God. They were effectively what Jesus refers to throughout the Gospels as people of peace. They were kind of already on the journey. One of the things that we need to be doing as followers of Jesus is, now that doesn't mean you just completely write off those who are far from God and have no interest in God and aren't open to it. But in particular, by looking for those people that are in your life, the friends who maybe live on your street, your work colleagues, the ones that you actually have some chats with about God's stuff or maybe some aspects like that. They are in a different place to those who come and actually try and argue about with you. And, oh, God's completely not real. Or, or, or. Unless they're doing that because they secretly actually think God's real and they're just trying to pretend that he's not. But to be looking for those people who are actually open and interested. Peter starts his address by saying, Hello, fellow Jews. 
he finds a connection point that says, hey, what I'm about to speak to is actually, I believe in this. I know this is actually something I've experienced. Be on the lookout in your life for people of peace. And be ready in that moment to speak. You probably won't see 3,000 people come to know Jesus. But the church was birthed through a mix of Holy Spirit power and Jesus follower readiness. And that was the truth then, and that was the truth a thousand years ago, and that is the truth today. Everything God does in and through this world. And I don't understand why I would love God to just come and click his fingers and fix it all, because he would do a whole lot of better job than I do. But for some reason, he chooses to use us. He chooses to use people. He chooses to partner with you. And that's what he wants to do. So in your life, and as you face different challenges this week, and whatever it is that you might be thinking through, there is an aspect of, hey, God, you just need to do this. I need you to come in. There's an aspect of spirit move. And then there's a step that God wants you to take. There's a role for you to play. And those two things will come together. And what comes from that is the will of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the early church and we thank you for the amazingness of it, the story that comes from it. But Lord, we also thank you for our own everyday life. We pray, Holy Spirit, come in our lives. Just in the everyday that we experience. Lord, we pray for boldness. We pray for preparedness. That we would be ready to move when the Spirit moves. We pray for our church, Lord. You know our cry, you know our situation, you know where we stand today. We pray that your spirit would move afresh in this place. May you surprise us. May you move in ways that cause us to have to go, and in the meantime, as we look for and seek and pray and guide, Lord, help us to be prepared. Help us to do what we can do to be present where we work, rest, and play. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.